to at least start close to the microphone. What I is mean, this? <laughs> Please stop yelling, what is this? What is this? This? <laughs> Welcome, buck-a-monthers, triple threats, and cool beans alike. This is our monthly penis content module, Abe. Please stop masturbating. We have to record. I was clapping my hands. <laughs> okay. Just one of my hands looks Around like a Around your pe- penis, though. One of my hands looks like a penis. Are you, you, you are, you're trying to relaunch the that show, right? The Cleveland show. Oh, you was the, that a Cleveland? I thought I that was the one of my hands looks like a penis show. Yeah, that's what I <laughs> thought, too. Which was maybe David Duchovny's finest Yes, work. He should yes. have gotten an Emmy. Absolutely. I'm glad you're here with me, yeah. Robert. You just watched Edward Penis Hands with half of the screen covered, I'm sorry to tell you. <laughs> We're joined by Robert Evans. More clappings in order. I do snaps. Ooh. Yeah. Hi. Cool yeah. cat. Thanks for coming, Robert. Thanks for having. I mean, it was a good eighty feet between my house and Abe's. We live so, so close. We live very close, a street or two yeah. away. So if you are playing the former Cracked Staffers uh, home address bingo cards <laughs> we sent out, that's yet another clue. <laughs> that's a bingo. You guys do a lot of stalking-based games, which I have <laughs> I have complicated feelings about. Well, I just think back over all the times we've off the cuff given clues to our whereabouts. Or like posted an image on Instagram that shows your house and a, and you know a recognizable thing in the background, and I always wonder if someone could. That's a challenge. Find me, people. Don't do that. <laughs> All right, that's not a good thing to encourage the internet yeah. to do. Well, now you is, got 4chan. This is our special gift you to got the hacker known as 4chan. Uh, <laughs> our afforder, our supporters who are able to afford to support us financially, which we greatly appreciate because it makes this all possible. And they've got some questions for us. Mm. So I'm going to dive right in and read them in order, skipping ones that I think are stupid. Yay! And we'll see what happens. I demand every question be answered. (laughs) Don't do it. No, we tried that. (laughs) Last time I tried to answer every question, which we did, uh, with DOB. And as a result, it went so fast that people felt like we Uh, don't enjoy doing this because we were rushing through it. But that's not true. All right. Well, I want the listener to know that I fought for integrity. It's oh true. God. You're uh-huh. fine. You should think it could just be a two and a half hour episode, right? With let's, long questions. Let's make it six. Fuck it. I mean, you're from behind the bastards. You'll go and go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, our first question comes from Stephen Wright, presumably the famous stand-up comedian <laughs> who says, you said that fantasy is a pretty dead genre. That's not a bad Stephen Wright. I've never tried bad. before. I've is there a way you could see reviving it either with or without mixing it with other genres of storytelling? This is K Billy sounds the seventies. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what's the best way to revive? I think originality is what I'll interpolate from that in fantasy storytelling without mashing, just mashing it up with other genres. If so, what would you want to create within the constraint of mixing, non-mixing? Let's just focus on the core of the question. Yeah. First of all, Robert, we you weren't here for that. Uh-huh. We have said we think fantasy is less fertile than sci-fi. You don't have to agree with that opinion. I think the problem that a lot of modern fantasy comes into is that a lot of modern fantasy authors focus more on the world building because that's what made fantasy into it. Like fantasy is the genre we know today. Like that was that descended from Tolkien. Like he wasn't the first person doing that, obviously, but he like he he's, he's the first person that made like he's the intellectual father of the kind of fantasy that a lot of people write, where the focus is on building this big and deep and complicated world. And the only other person who's been close to as good at that as him has been George R. R. Martin. 
And I think pretty much everyone I've read other than that kind of falls somewhere in between the two of them. And what would you, I'd call it like Arthurian. It's like it's the it, fantasy it's, genre we're used to is vaguely Arthurian. It, it's, it's more, I think that's less important than the fact that most people try their focus is on the world and creating an engaging world. Where with science fiction, the focus is usually not on the world, but on questions that are relevant now using like the future. Like that's what Star Trek is at its best in a mm-hmm. nutshell is like. And that's what, that's what the, the glory days of science fiction where you had like Asimov and Bradbury and Heinlein and stuff writing all these short stories and novels. Like they were mostly dealing with contemporary questions through a lens of sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And I think when fantasy does that, it is just as fertile a, uh, a, a field as science fiction. But I think fantasy is usually more focused on the world building. Um, and that's going to be more limited because unless you're capable of creating a really complex world that people like, uh, you're probably not going to, it's, it's, it's harder to attract an audience and it's, it's usually not in most fantasy based around characters that are super compelling. Like, but I find fantasy is more character driven. I don't know. Like, what do you like? Look at game of Thrones. You get drawn in because of your attachment to the characters. Whereas, there's plenty of sci-fi but, stories where the characters are just empty vessels. But he's the oh, George R. R. Martin. What makes him special is that he's really the only fantasy writer I've read that has a really, 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 really complicated and intricate little world that feels as lived in as Tolkien's does, and is also a good character writer. Because Tolkien didn't write great characters. There were some neat speeches and stuff, but like, it's pretty dry. Dry. Yeah. yeah. It, it. So I. I feel like. Like, I feel like there are some fantasy authors. I think Stephen Bruce does a really good job of using fantasy as a way. Like, he's like a, a, a Trotskyist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he uses fantasy to explore a lot of issues related to, like, labor uh, and colonialism and stuff like that in his. And so he's got a pretty well-developed world. But I, I think his stuff's usually stronger because it's about a character interacting with a problem. And I think that's less common in fantasy, interacting with like a problem that's not, there's too many orcs, I got to cut my way through them. Well, the right. reason it becomes monotonous is their story almost always escalates to defeating the ultimate personification yeah. of evil to save the entire universe, which becomes bland, ironically, because it's always the same level of stakes. Yeah, yeah. I always find that, like, because I actually want to come out and be specific, just because we kind of went right past it. Like, I don't think Michael or I either, like, hate sci-fi as a genre it's just that in recent times you mean fantasy f- fantasy sorry okay uh fantasy genre specifically in recent times has had the tendency uh especially on things like network television and even some books and like the young adult movement and books and tv and movies and stuff like that i think that sci-fi forces you to kind of build uh around these concepts like this is what a hyperdrive can do or what this is what this is a how holodeck can do and there's still a little people. bit of magic yeah. but it's never once mentioned there's these dilithium spheres that make things happen yes it is magic but at, but as long as we believe that one thing i think there's a trend right now in fantasy where uh you can just play deus ex machina so to speak because if everything's magic like i think george R. R. martin the harry potter you know like all these franchises make it so that they focus on the things that are right and getting people sucked into the stories. And nor do I think that either of these properties are bad in terms of like deus ex machina, but sometimes they'll, if they can't, it's easy to ride around something. Harry Potter is. 
I mean, it's a children's book. You broke all your bones, so here's a potion that regrows your bones. Like, they just do whatever the fuck they want. They kind of do whatever the fuck they want. But it's also the appeal of Harry Potter is the world that she built. It's it's not right. like they're not dealing with a little bit at the end. There's some attempt to shoehorn in like timeless lessons about like good and evil, but it's mostly just like kids having adventures in a fun world that's I, in, neat to pretend you're in for a while. I think she was super smart by extrapolating from at least a slightly different. Like she extrapolated from the mythology of witches and witchcraft. Yeah. That's much more modern mm-hmm. than what Tolkien or Martin are extrapolating from. They're extrapolating from medieval times. Yeah, yeah, but with but with Tolkien or with if you're watching Game of Thrones, you're not watching Game of Thrones and thinking like, "Wow, this has a lot of lessons in how this court courtly drama is playing out for me." Like a lot in of lessons life, that are relevant right. in my life. Whereas you watch Star Trek: The Next Generation. And it's like, oh, this is asking a really complicated. Is it okay to torture? Is the yeah. uh, the the question behind this two part episode? And they're really exploring it, and this is relevant because three years later we'll be torturing people, right? Or yeah. Kirk will kiss an alien, and you'll stop being racist. That's how it happened to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we should move on for the sake of at least getting to some more questions. Sure. Yep, we vaguely answered it, but good question. A good friend of the site, Aaron Burser, asks a functional question. I'm not going to answer, but then. Why is Robert Evans not on the Small Beans Discord? Hashtag political beans could use his unique and well-traversed point of view at times. Yeah. Do you hate us? No. uh, (laughs) I am scared of online communities that work in that way because I have had a lot of bad experiences with communities of people on the internet who form their own little... Uh, little enclaves and I think it's a mm. wonderful thing and I have a lot of friends who have gotten married or have met partners that way and who you know are I don't I don't I don't truck with it no more sure so well, you heard it here first <laughs> uh, also for Robert how familiar are you with Shadowrun I assume I spent I spend, if I, when I was not playing D&D or Warhammer yeah, yeah, as a yeah. little kid I was fucking playing okay, Shadowrun so he knows that was why yeah. I asked if Swain were Character in Shadowrun, what class job would he be? Swaim would be a troll shaman. Troll shaman. All right. There you go, Mm -hmm. Aaron Burr. All right. Connor Laughlin also asked Robert, you seem to have very diverse interests, as you've already showcased in this episode. Where does the drive to pursue those interests come from? P.S. I love Behind the Bastards. I look forward to it every week. Other jerk-off statements about how green you are. Oh, cool. (laughs) I I don't think I have very diverse interests. I like... dictators i'm really interested in like people who abuse power on a grand scale so i read about that all the time i don't really do that much else uh i've traveled a lot so but that's just one thing so i i I read about terrible people and i travel and yeah that's most i'm gonna tweak it and re-ask where does your drive or or when did it start how'd you get into researching you love to research Oh, I don't know. I just hate school, but I wanted to learn things. Oh, okay. I was yeah. like, the first part doesn't follow. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hate school, but I like learning stuff. And eventually I found the right balance. Sure. Yeah. The way to do that is look yeah. it up yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and Connor also says, I shouldn't have skipped this because it's essential. Here's hoping that Doritos money comes in. I mean, that would be sweet, wouldn't <laughs> that would it? That would be great. Yeah, it, we're it, all it, hoping. There have been maybe a couple too many anti-capitalist rants in the show for Doritos to want to sign on. Screeds, yeah. Yeah, but fingers crossed. Thomas Chenery, or Chenery, what are all your essential reads, both most important and most entertaining, and I'm not allowed to say Vonnegut because of Vonnegut, guys. 
Uh, I would put Vonnegut on there. You're allowed to. I, I have the copy of, I have like the cover art from Cat's Cradle uh, tattooed over my heart. It's yep. one of my very favorite books. So I would put that as a must read, uh, especially if you grew up in a, uh, if you grew up submerged in a religion or ideology that you no longer hold to. It is a good book for that. So uh, it's, it's good for the disillusioned. <laughs> yeah, it's a good book for people who ha- are frustrated with their parents for one reason or another. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd say that's definitely one. I think Sebastian Younger's Tribe is probably the best book I've ever read, uh, and I would recommend it for everybody. He's a, he's, Sebastian Younger is a very experienced war correspondent who essentially set out to answer the question, it's possible that like U.S. soldiers get PTSD at a higher rate than any other soldiers in history. What up with that? Mm. Uh, and the answer is like the most damning indictment of Western civilization imaginable. Uh, and it's a beautiful book and I think everybody should read it. Is it that we've made ourselves so pampered that we have a lower tolerance for trauma? No, it's that (laughs) our, that, that might get it a little bit of it, but I I don't want to like, like he builds to this point very well. One of the things, one of the things that he points out that I I can drop in a second Mm -hmm. that is pretty meaningful is that. Uh, in hunter-gatherer societies today, and we believe in the past, human infants would have been in physical contact with their mother or another human being more than 90% of the time while yeah. they were infants. And in Western societies, it's less than 16%. Yeah, uh, I'm only touching <laughs> little kids about 16% of the time. That seems right. Well, we need ad sponsors. <laughs> kid Toucher. The new Kid Toucher app. Make sure you kid... No, all right. 250 well, times more efficient at... Touching kids. <laughs> Abe top reads yeah. top slash reads. authors. You, you can know, be vague with it. Yeah, I mean, like uh, I I stopped reading fiction uh, somewhere around high school. I know you like Joyce though. I did take a good Joyce class Nerd. and I had one of those teachers who was just really good. Mm-hmm. So it makes anything where they te- they make you like uh, it and you can't unsee I, what's so good about it. So for the yeah. classics, it's pretty milk toast. I mean, I was like Faulkner. I was Joyce. I was like pretty. Like you I was basically pretty. the kid from a separate piece or Holden Caulfield. Jonathan knows. But uh, now I read a lot of technical stuff or not technical, but like stuff that I don't understand that I hope through osmosis will get me smarter. You know? Yeah. He's got a Feynman book sitting on his coffee table now. I got a lot of Feynman. Now. I got a lot of like Feynman is one of the best orators period. Uh, read a lot of uh, Kip Thorne is good. He talks about black holes and shit. We talked about, about him on the cracked movie clubs uh, interstellar because he was like a guy who was who was like nolan was we need you to be a part of the movie mm-hmm. so you just write equations and then our computers will do it and they like wrote a paper after interstellar was made because the computers are better than the computers that kip thorne had access to mm. uh stuff like that where they're just trying to figure out what the fuck's going on with yeah. the real world so i don't i'm kind of boring. non-fic yeah well for sci-fi i'll go with snow crash by what's his name? <laughs> Neil Stevenson. Mm. Uh, I'm not going to say anything about it. I just think people should read stuff. And I was told non Vonnegut, so that cuts out a lot of my shit. Also, Ellis in Wonderland, Harlan Ellison, Rest in Peace. That's a good starter short story collection. Uh, for straight drama fiction, Jonathan Safran Foyer is extremely loud and incredibly close. Do not see the movie. Do not. It does detract greatly from the experience you could have just reading the novel. Uh, and then, since we mentioned the fantasy thing and I never really answered it, I'll just answer in form of an example. I think you can refresh the fantasy genre simply by being willing to abandon the tropes and 
create your own new tropes while overlapping enough tropes with classic fantasy that is still recognizable as mm-hmm. fantasy. And a good example mm-hmm. of that is a fantasy series that I love. Right. There's like 25 <laughs> of them. What? Right. <laughs> uh, no, it's uh, Push by Sapphire. <laughs> no. Uh, the Myth series is what they're called by Robert Lynn Aspirin. So the first one's called... Another fine myth. Every title has a myth mm-hmm. pun in it. Mm-hmm. They're written at like a Harry Potter level, so it's not the best writing sentence to sentence. But the plot machinations will remind you of like Seinfeld or Arrested Development. It's the plot is always twenty things happening, then they somehow all converge, and you're like, I see what you did. That's so clever. Uh, and it also, I think, the highlight and the reason I bring it up is is definitely fantasy. You always feel that you're in a fantasy universe but there's so many things that i've never seen before since in any other fantasy universe very imaginative one of the first books that you and i like saw eye to eye on was hitchhiker's guide right that's that's a great example of science fiction that's about world building yeah, yeah, it's yeah not fantasy. Very, it's yeah. satirical in the micro sense where it makes fun of foolish behavior. Yeah, like the monologue but about the little green pieces that's of paper. Always present, right? Yeah. But he's, it's not trying to be cynically satirical. It's just fucking funny. Yeah, yeah. when he makes an observation <laughs> about politicians, it works as well now as it did in the eighties. Oh yeah, whenever yeah, yeah. it was published. Yeah, um, yeah, that's definitely one of the better books ever. Alan, the, a quick one for Robert. Fix, how do we fix the Middle East? <laughs> Nobody does that. Like, would, <laughs> Does it help if I add specifically Iraq, Kurdistan, Syria? There's no, there's no way to fix anything that is that complex and that fucked up. More than half, between half a million and like seven or 800,000 people have already died in Syria. There's no one fucking it. The dictator is winning. Now, you could, we could we could stop that were we willing to institute a no-fly zone and perhaps conflict with Russia, which is, so like, there's no good, there's no good answer to any of the problems. Iraq beat ISIS, but there's going to be another civil war there in the next decade, probably. Um, I don't know how you fix that because, like, I, I'm a supporter of Kurdish independence, but also the current Kurdish government is only just a little bit less corrupt and shitty than the government in Baghdad, so it's not like, like, there's no... There's, there are smarter decisions that could be being made and less destructive decisions that could be being made. And I support making less destructive decisions, but there is no simple set of solutions that will fix things in a short period of time. It's not one of those situations where it's obvious and they're just not doing it. There's some obvious wrong stuff, like turning right. Afghanistan over to mercenaries with a viceroy is the wrong thing to but do. But it's not like at this point with climate change where you're like, look, if you don't think we should do this and that, you're just wrong. Yeah. Uh, it's a complicated situation. It, we, it's very easy to say this. Some of the things that are, are wrong, clearly wrong are, are yeah. easy to say, but even then, like I think the left the global left is sort of as wrong now as the global right in terms of their Middle Eastern policy because they they're, they become so non-interventionalist. And sometimes aiding people in overthrowing a violent dictator is the right thing to do, as we saw in Libya. Um, and the, the portrayal of Libya as a failure. Libya, the problem is that people want it to look like war looks like in our imaginations where you beat the bad guys and then things get better. Um, and the reality is that, like, you take a country that's been under a dictator for 40 or 50 years, you get rid of that dictator, things will get better, but they will f- be fucked up for a long time because somebody fucked things up because there's right. no idea of civil society 
in the same way that we have there. So you have to build that from scratch. And people, there's, people will continue to die. They will continue to be fighting. You just have to compare the two Libyan civil wars, which have killed maybe 50,000 people, with the civil war in Syria, which, again, is like probably six or 700,000 people at minimum, and we, where we didn't intervene. So I think you can make less bad decisions going forward, but nothing is going to make any part of the conflicted areas in the Middle East better overnight. What I'm hearing is fixed. Great. Question for Robert from John Ford, the famed film director. Since you spent so much time interviewing and studying political extremists and political violence, what do you think is the hardest point made by right-wing extremists, I said extremists and extremists, I don't know, particularly white supremacists in America, to argue with? Not, the, not their best point per se, like not that it's valid, but the one that is most insidious, hardest to answer to. And do you have a, a rebuttal that we could steal when it comes up? Yeah, the hardest thing to answer is, and it's it's the same, they can bring up the same thing for both uh, what they call illegal immigration, which sometimes is refugees uh, and sometimes is people just looking for work, and the refugee crisis, which is obviously just refugees, which is where they say, like, if we, inv- if we take in a huge, like Germany takes in a million people, some of those million people will be rapists and murderers because mm-hmm. that's just the way population groups work, mm-hmm. right? And they will commit crimes in your country, uh, which is why Paul Joseph Watson does a good business just pointing out every time someone who can be vaguely tied to being a migrant commits any kind of crime over anywhere in Europe. Um, and that is hard to refute because, yes, if these people weren't here, these crimes, you know, this individual person wouldn't have been murdered. Um, and I do think there is a refutation. There's a refutation that is intellectually a little bit more difficult to get to but is easy to argue and then there's a rep there's a there's an argument that is a little harder to make the easy argument is by taking care of these people now in the short term and by being welcoming to them while some of them may like a tiny amount obviously may cause problems but some of them will cause problems within our society we will stop more problems than we cause because this will engender goodwill towards the United States abroad and among these populations, and there will not be as much of a motivation to attack them. Like, if we take in refugees, if we're good to these people, uh, it, will, it will be positive for our reputation. That means we'll get attacked less. I think that's an argument you can make. I think mm-hmm. another argument you can make is that, like, uh, if, I don't know, th- this is more of a moral argument, but, like, I think it's, it's better to be brave than to be a coward. Uh, and it's brave to do what Germany did and take a million strangers into your country because it's the right thing to do. And I think you can argue that that's too scary, that you don't want to take on that risk because it's scary, but then I'm going to call you a coward. I'm not a coward, Robert. (laughs) Uh, I got one too, which is I find that it's very insidious that people think it's logically sound to go like, so I'm white, so like if a black guy did this to me, isn't that racist? Like oh, the reverse yeah, racist yeah, argument. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the easiest, simplest way it was explained to me that's like really memorable and nutshell, and I have used it on a couple people who are like, I'll have to think about that, is uh, if you started a race and one person was chained at the ankles and you ran half the race and then you realized, oh shit, that's not fair, and you took the chains off, is the race fair now if you just continue the race from that point forward? That's sort of why. It's about power structure. Yes, a white person doing something in a black space can be racist and the reverse can be not racist because yeah. the power structure involved. 
which a lot of people won't accept. Joseph Murray says, I notice in a lot of podcasts, all you guys avoid saying cracked. You call it the old job or the old gym or something. Just curious why. It's just a joke. Funny. It's not really yeah. a I, ill will as much as just a funny way to rectify the pain. I actually think one person did it and it caught on with all of us like a meme because we're all like, that's funny. I'll think yeah. of something to call it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I probably said the most harsh one, which I said, uh, the place that shall not be named. Uh-huh. But that was just to throw yeah. in a, you know, like Harry Potter reference or whatever. It wasn't done with the hope of like, yes, let's all turn against them. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah I Small don't, Beans does not support that. Yeah, I don't think it, I don't think it, goes against anything I signed to say that there was some frustration with the way that the end of things for most of us was handled. But I think we're all pretty much on board with the fact that working for Cracked was really good for us creatively and professionally and paid the bills for a long time. Uh, and I, I feel good about 90% of the people that I worked with. Uh, and I'm happy to see them do other things and maintain good relationships with them. We are the 10%. Yeah. Uh, Owen Rice asks for Robert. Uh, you don't. Robert Evans is not your real name. <laughs> yes, it is actually. Why don't you use your real name? And when did you change it? I, I, that is my real name. I never changed my name. I go by Matt. But explain the name I, situation. I, I, I've gone by Matt since I was a little kid because there are a bunch of Roberts in my family, and I was like the youngest, not of my family, but of like my extended family. So I got saddled with Matt for a while. Uh, and I started using Robert professionally. I don't remember why I made that decision, but it was terrible because the guy who produced Godfather will always beat me in Google results. And love story. Yeah, well... The kid stays in the pitch. Mother that guy. F- I, I, the only way I beat him on Google is if I kill him because <laughs> then it will be Robert Evans murders Robert, Robert Evans, Evans is will the be title the and that will be the number one Google yeah. resort. So, and a rubber side. <laughs> yeah. Uh, middle name Matthew? Madison. Madison, damn, yeah. mine's Matthew. Yeah. Now you all know the terrible terms. secret. I just, for whatever reason, when I came to LA, that people didn't were confused about that too, and I just didn't mm-hmm. answer it for a while because I like to keep people off guard. That's something okay. I learned from Saddam Hussein. You never let them know exactly what you got going on. It's the mystique. Is it's the, the mystique. Dan hated it that I did that. <laughs> uh, Liam Dodd asks for Robert. Are there any bastards you would like to cover, but the historical record's too spotty to make a comprehensive episode? I don't, I don't, I haven't run into that yet. There are bastards who are still bastards or who have just recently concluded being bastards uh, that I can't write about because we don't know enough about what they did yet. Um, Although you've already gone way more modern than I expected when I first heard the premise of the show, like you covered coke and yeah yeah, yeah. This, the show, the premise of the show originally i wanted to do a mini series on nazis going into all the weird things people don't ta- know about hitler and the nazis and then i wanted to do other mini series like and this here's one about saddam's regime and here's one about and so we kind of chiseled down the idea to let's just pick a different person each week and i can cover all these stories over time mm-hmm. um so that's yeah we're off topic i guess i forget what i was being asked I scrolled away. Okay. Well, Oh, that's are there the any that you know that like the historical records won't be there so you can't do it, but you're pretty sure they killed a million people, you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, it would it's like no. it can it, Genghis Khan, could you do a whole episode? We, we, yeah, Is there enough yeah. known? Okay. There's enough known about Genghis Khan and he probably killed 20 or 30 million people. The only reason I hesitate to do Genghis Khan is that Dan Carlin's Hardcore History did a really good like yeah, six-part series yeah. on it. And so I'm like, well, he's done a better job than I could do of Genghis. Mm. Dawson Parr asks Robert, 
what's the path to peace in the Middle East? <laughs> you know, you don't have the answer. I, well, but I, it's telling people, that... By the way, this is clearly... People are looking to you. This is your see, responsibility. Well, and this, is, this is part of what's frustrating <laughs> because like every trip I've got taken over there and every different conflict in that region that I've studied into has just further reinforced how little I understand what's happening over there. <laughs> so you don't feel like you could help? No, but it is <laughs> like part of the reason things are so fucked there is that any time for the last century, any time any white Westerner has, any white Western man has learned a little bit about the region of the world, they've started being treated as an expert and then policy has been made around the things that they've said and mm-hmm. then things have gotten progressively more fucked up. Sure. <laughs> so the answer, the answer, there's definitely the answer is stop listening to what like half informed white dudes like me so exclusively have to say like I, that's i try to keep people on shit locals are saying that is valuable which is why like my opinions on the syrian civil war are largely influenced on things syrians have told me rather than like the left-wing arguments for or against right. intervention it's like well what do syrians want oh they want us to bomb assad because he's a monster well okay like maybe we've I don't know if bombing's the right thing, but maybe we should have three years ago intervened mm. to take the regime out. Anyway, there's no answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> I like 3.14 asks Robert on Tales from the Pit sometime. Uh, uh, which one is that? Fine with me. It's the one about trauma, grief, depression, and addiction. Yeah, I mean, most of what I'd want to talk about, there's another couple of years before the statute of limitations is up, but I have... Oh. Yeah. So there might be such a juicy story that will wait on it. Yeah. There's a... Jen has a story that's so good that I'm like, that would be our hit episode. And she's like, yeah, but several key family members have to pass away before I can say that story. Um, So (laughs) no answer. Uh, Zach Barry asks for Ryan, which I assume means Robert. Okay. Did you really trip balls in the cracked offices after drinking that milky stuff? Or was that just dynamite acting? No, we were, we were hallucinating very hard. And we were not intended to. I'd made that drink two or three times before while researching my book, because it shows up in my book, A Brief History of Vice. Uh, and then I made it that time. And, you know, when you're ordering mushrooms from random strangers on the Internet, mm-hmm. you get a variety of qualities of mushroom. And that day we got really good mushrooms, and we were hallucinating so hard that we spent $250 in company money to rent a hotel room for all four of us to the night for the night because we were tripping too hard. Yeah. Uh, it was a real surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Adam Ganser had a good time that night, I yeah. think. Yeah. Playing the designated DD. Is well, that no, when you also. Filming us tripping. You yeah. guys also. Oh, yeah. You had to get it's a hotel hilarious. room that night because yeah. you couldn't. You're tripping too hard to navigate your way home. And no one could be allowed to go back to their people in this right. state. We all just kind of had to wait it out. So that was real. Yeah. Um, okay. We're closing in on where we have to get. Dan, Dan will be here soon. Dan, 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 Dan will be here soon to record. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to wrap up with some broad questions that people repeated a few times, you know, synergized into the core of it. Uh, mostly for Abe and I, but Robert, feel free to make shit up and we will be obliged to do what you say. (laughs) Uh, are we phasing out the videos on small beans? Yes. (laughs) Uh, no, all right. no, in fact, we have a new one coming. Yeah, new series launching Friday uh, with Cody Johnson, Katie Stoll, and myself. And I just want people to know how fucking hard it is to make videos, but we'll never give up. We know it's been a long time. Yeah, uh, We did some life hacks because they're the easiest to produce to tide you over. 
Disney owns you is out of our reach at this point with the funds we have coming in. But we did find a way to get a new video series going and we hope it'll run regularly and we hope you'll love it. So look for that on Friday. And on the side, we're also we're trying to navigate getting three podcasts out to y'all playing around in the discord playing video games launching a merch store you know, a bunch keeping, of stuff yeah you know, all the stuff also keeping it on real. the side writing stuff for uh, festival stuff which is going to be hitting the patreon as it comes to fruition which is the last question people asked uh several people asked what are our long-term dream goals horizon like what is small beans leading toward what's the sh- direction of the ship Robert. yeah i can answer that one uh it's the establishment of a socialist state and the execution of the top 40 percent of the country which we believe will create peace in the middle east yeah oh, don't worry. yeah dan just walked yeah. in it's, dan walked it's, in so we got to wrap up but i do want to give the real answer no i want to commit small beans to yeah. the genocide of like 20 or 30 percent of the race yeah <laughs> and so you have yeah so, so keep we those shall. patreon donations coming in people <laughs> they'll get it done <laughs> Thank you for uh, that was, that question. That was untrue. If you go to the Patreon page, um, <laughs> our goal, our current goal is to make a second feature film. And just to break that down very quickly, we're essentially trying to set aside money and get funding f- to produce a festival-ready short, which will then be taken around to get funding to create a feature, which is a common way it's done. Uh, it's a route we haven't tried before, so we're going to try it this time. And if you scroll back down a few dozen posts, because we post a lot, uh, you'll find the rough draft of the first short we're considering. It's called Fur. So if you want to see what our long-term goals are, you can read that and provide feedback that we'll use in revising the script. But there's also going to be another short in contention. That's a horror movie. Yeah, horror action. Horror action. Egyptology movie. Yeah. And uh, Abe's and then, love note to the mummy. Well, <gasps> oh, we're hoping. Told, yeah, that's an exciting idea. Yeah, we're hoping you you beans will have an overwhelming favorite and we'll be like, okay, the people would see yeah. that one and we'll make. And that the reason one. we're going to short another intelligent, re- or we like to think we're intelligent here. Uh, the only other reason that we're going short is that it's bigger bang for your buck in terms of like why try to grab $250,000, which is just really tough. I, I don't know. It's right there. It's <laughs> pretty out of our reach, pretty tough. If we can, from multiple sources, get $10,000 here and there, before you know it, we could have something that's comparable to anything that is winning Oscars these days. I don't know what wins Oscars. Right, because our <laughs> first movie, Kill Me Now, is good but doesn't look good and yeah, would have looked good if we spent the same amount of money on less it's time. because you know, we wanted to make a feature and we're going to make ends meet and this way we want to do it right and we want to do the story right and we want to involve every one of you guys so that like you can you know if you guys are excited about it you can even be a producer well as we get yeah closer every to that, single one of you every is a producer you know. now i mean that's the way that's the way the world works these days apparently okay uh, so we'll see and try that out. we have to go commit evan's mandated genocide mm-hmm. so bye <laughs> thank you again for your support <laughs> <laughs>